Um, just as Dan mentioned, um, I'm just so uh, truly honored to be one of your pastors in this church um, alongside Dan and an incredible group of leaders, community leaders, um, people who have really just come alongside us in this journey. And it's just been incredible to grow together um, as a church and in relationship with one another. And obviously, as Dan mentioned, speaking of growing, uh, I'm up here this morning all by myself to teach, which is really an answer to prayer, honestly. Um, Brian and Charlotte, actually in July in this very space, they prayed over me that I would have courage to teach. And so this is actually a direct answer to their prayers and I know the prayers of um, other people within our community. And so I just wanna uh, really celebrate God's movement in each of our lives as we all take steps of courage. And, and I also feel led to just say, like maybe one of you have something in your heart that you feel like the Spirit's nudging you towards um, and it feels scary and it feels um, like a big step. I just wanna encourage you to take that step and to actually ask someone today to pray over you that you would have confidence to step into the things that the Spirit is laying on your hearts. All right, let's stand for the reading of scripture. We're gonna be reading from three texts this morning, so I'd actually encourage you just to take a deep breath into your bellies, uh, maybe even close your eyes if you're comfortable as I read over you. At Neighbors, we believe the scriptures, when they are opened and read, are the very words from our creator God uh, speaking over our souls. And as we listen to them, it's as if we're listening to a loving friend and a kind counselor. I believe the word, uh, the Lord has words of comfort and conviction for all of us today. From Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And now from John 14, verses 26 through 27. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And lastly, from John 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. You can take your seats. 
As we dive in this morning, I'm going to lay some groundwork that is important to this teaching um, to understand how we celebrate Advent in 21st century San Diego. We have to hear the whole story and we have to know how we fit into it. So we're actually gonna start at the beginning of the Bible and we're gonna work our way through the story arc of Jesus and to us. So does that sound good? All right, let's pray. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Lord, I believe many of us need to hear those words this morning. Many of us experience things in this life that don't feel peaceful, that are hard and difficult. And so I pray that your words would comfort us this morning. I pray that these words would convict us to go forth and be peacemakers in this world. Speak now, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. In the beginning of time, before uh, existence of the existence of humans, God created the heavens and earth, and the Spirit hovered over what the Hebrews called tovu vovohu. Tovu vovohu is a dense set of Hebrew words and very um, difficult to translate. Some of your translations in your Bible will say formless and void. Um, some will say it's this bottomless emptiness. One scholar actually translates these words as barren and wild. The point being is that the spirit was hovering over something that was disordered and uncultivated and not whole. It was dark and not light. It was uninhabitable by humans, and this wasn't God's intention. The imagery here is purposefully ambiguous by the author's intent. It's meant to draw us as the readers into further meditation on the fact that God was involved with the disorder and the uninhabitable creation from the beginning, and he intended to create good in and out of it all. The spirit hovered, ready to make a place for God and humans to dwell together in harmony and in wholeness. God spoke, and through the wisdom and the power of the Spirit, creation began to harmonize and become this whole habitation for heaven and earth, for humans, and for God. And so the story goes, God created the day and night, land and seas, fruits and vegetables, the sun and moon, the birds and sea creatures, living creatures, livestock, wild animals, animals that move along the ground, and then... At the pinnacle of creation, God created humans. Bearers of his image, the Spirit breathed life into these human beings, these men and women, and he blessed them to go forward and cultivate and create and war for good. Now, this may raise some questions for some of you. Did I just say that God created humans to war? I did. I think we're like, wait, I thought everything was perfect. Why would we need to war at the start of creation? I use this word war very specifically in the opening scenes of the Genesis narrative. Our dear friend and mentor, Dr. Gary Brashears, has highlighted along with a growing group of scholars that Adam and Eve were commissioned to subdue creation. And that word subdue in Genesis 1.28 is a war word throughout the rest of the Bible. Creation was to be brought under submission of the humans in partnership with God. 
Men and women were to be part of subduing and warring against something that was already wrong. And this is most clearly seen by the fact that there was already an enemy of God and humans in the garden sowing discord and confusion. The author portrays this enemy as the slithering snake. Adam and Eve were to partner with God in the garden, making what is wrong right. From the beginning, they were to subdue the snake and resist his accusations and lies against themselves and their creator. Yahweh created these humans and every other human after them, that's me and you, to bring justice and generosity, faithfulness and beauty to the world. And yet, even with the serpent's presence in the early points of creation, God still proclaimed his works and his commissioning of humans to do his will as good. Every point we see, he would say, this is good. The Hebrews captured this goodness or this wholeness, this peace in one word, shalom. It literally means whole and complete. The idea of shalom is both an activity to be done and a reality to be lived in. Shalom is something that humans and God do together. It's the state in which humans and God are to exist. But again, we all know how the story goes. Adam and Eve utterly failed in their partnership with Yahweh. The serpent subdued them instead with his lies. The snake challenged Yahweh's goodness and his care for them because he told them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Opposite to Yahweh's clear instructions, the snake told them, you're not actually gonna die if you eat from that tree. He got them to believe that they didn't need God, but they could be like God, that they could actually be gods themselves. I just wanna pause here and ask, does that sound familiar to you guys in your life? I know it does in mine. So many times I have found myself questioning the loving instructions of my father. I've challenged it, I've doubted it, that he has actually good for me through the boundaries that he has placed over my life. Through Adam and Eve's disobedience and our own, shalom is shattered, that wholeness is fractured. All the rightness and beauty and justice is made wrong and ugly and unjust by the fall and our sin. Now philosopher and theologian Cornelius Plantinga calls this the vandalism of shalom. By eating from the very fruit that Yahweh had instructed Adam and Eve not to eat from, they vandalized shalom and they created disorder. They destroyed and decreated shalom. Because of this, they were separated from God and they were exiled from the garden. They were sent to wander a disordered and chaotic world without God's presence. And this narrative of humanity repeats itself over and over again throughout the rest of the Bible, all of history, and to where we each find ourselves today. All of humanity has been banned from the Garden of Eden and literally has been cut off from paradise, from the presence of God, forced to live in exile. Exile is a warfare term, and it actually means desolation and destitution and insecurity. It's the very opposite of the shalom that God has created. And this is, for many of us, for all of us actually, a self-made exile. Over and over again, text after text, division after division, war after war, we find shalom vandalized by humans. Manhattan preacher Fleming Rutledge says that Advent starts in the dark. 
What she means by this is that we first have to see the vandalism of shalom and we have to feel the war and our losses in it before we can grasp what we are celebrating in this season. All through the dark and horrific pages of the story of the Bible, there's these little glimmers of light and hope. The Old Testament Hebrew prophets promised that there would be this recreation of shalom through a new Adam, through a human that could do something for us that we could never do for ourselves. And in their exile, the Jewish people grew in their longing for the coming of the promised person of shalom and peace. And they would demand and raise up king after king after king only to see that king fail them just as Adam and Eve had. Then, like this match being lit in the dark, another prophet would come and promise that there would be one who wouldn't fail. The king that the people longed for and were looking to would arrive and would radically shift the tides forever. One of these prophets was um, spoken through the prophet Isaiah, who in the sixth century BC declared to the nations, let's just read it one more time. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. The warriors rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when they divide the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And here's that light. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now just imagine for a moment what these words were like for these people. They had experienced war and famine and desolation and they were actually on the verge of exile. Almost every single one of their kings had failed them and they were utterly powerless. And then Isaiah comes on the scene and says that light in the darkness was going to come, that there would be fruitfulness instead of desolation, that there would be peace instead of war, that they would have God's presence instead of God's absence. This is the ache of Advent. And I think that this promise that is found in the ache is probably what some of us are most needing to hear today. Collectively, we have experienced division and uncertainty, extreme polarization, and very dark days in the past year and a half. Individually, we've experienced things that are very much outside of our control that feel the very opposite of shalom. And many of us have had these dark days of depression and anxiety and fear, and we're still experiencing those things. And it is in these dark moments, in the ache, that we have the promise of light. For the Hebrews, this promised one went by many names, the prophet, the redeemer, a strong tower and refuge, but most importantly, the king, the Messiah, the one anointed by God to recreate order and institute universal peace forever. 
And in the minds of the ancient Jews, this Messiah had taken on this heroic imagery. He was, they were waiting for this warlike conqueror to come and defeat the Romans. And they were hoping that he would do this total and hostile takeover of their enemy by violence. But instead, we all know it came. Baby Jesus in a manger, surrounded by livestock and manure and dirt and grit. He was a baby that was born to marginalized and impoverished Jewish peasants. And he came into a town that was in the middle of nowhere where the scriptures say no good came from. He was welcomed not by powerful and elite people, but by social outcasts, a group of lowly shepherds in the rural hills of Judea who were terrified by this angel declaring, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. Friends, everything about the Prince of Peace was upside down and backwards to the way humans had understood and ruled the world. Shalom and peace would not come by war and violence as humans had done it, but by his very presence among us as Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus. Jesus would preach and teach that his kingdom had come on earth as it was in heaven through his birth and life. His death would absorb all wrong He would literally be decreated, vandalized, destroyed, and then raised to new life to begin a recreation project amongst his followers, empowered by a renewed partnership with the Holy Spirit and a return from exile. Jesus left us with this promise. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The same spirit that hovered over that chaos and brought order now resides in each one of us. He's recreating shalom and wholeness from within. We have been given the Holy Spirit as an advocate. He helps us, he comforts us, and he reminds us of Jesus' words. He is with us, Emmanuel. I've experienced the working of the Spirit to remind me of uh, Jesus' words over and over again in my life. Um, Moments in the early morning, reading the scriptures and being so comforted by the words within it. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. This is the Spirit communing with my soul and bringing shalom in my life. This is the Spirit reminding me of the hope and the peace I have with Jesus. It's an anchor for my soul. It's so too through my community. The Spirit keeps my heart and soul in order. He guards me from the chaos of Satan's accusations and my own sin as he gently convicts and corrects and comforts me through my community. As someone shares on Wednesday night about what's going on in their life and how Jesus is being faithful to them, the Spirit comes alongside me and says, See, I'm faithful to them, and I'm gonna be faithful to you. Friends, this advocate, the Holy Spirit, is sure, and he is a constant help. He will never leave us. This is the presence of Advent. We are no longer in exile. 
we aren't alone. We are these new garden people restored and reconciled to God and to each other. As Dan says, we are this walking thin space between heaven and earth. Just like Adam and Eve, we have been resent into the world to cultivate, subdue, and war for justice, generosity, faithfulness, and beauty. Now, I do think that there is something that needs to be noted here. Jesus's presence and his peace is not given in the way that the world would give it. In other words, shalom in this life isn't the absence of pain and trouble, but it's about his presence with us through those troubles. Each of us have faced and will experience hardship and pain. None of us are immune to trouble. We experience loss. We have broken and fractured relationships. We feel death sting when we lose a loved one. And yet, we have been given the Holy Spirit to remind us of truth, to comfort us in pain, and to intercede and care for us in ways that we can't even fathom or articulate. Jesus also said in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the paradox of Advent. Though we have been reconciled and the spirit of shalom resides within us, we still live in a war zone. We still feel sin's effects. The establishment of the greatness of his government is peace, but it's already, it's already, but it's not yet. The expansion of Jesus's reign is incremental until he comes again, reigning with power and glory. Right now, often the advancements of his new creation proceeds mostly on the margins in these hidden and secret ways. Fleming Rutledge writes, the invincible transforming power of God's future of God's coming future is acting simultaneously in and through the deeply flawed realities of the present human situation. This means that in the present evil age, the disciples of Christ are constantly aware of hanging on to what can often seem like a desperate position between the now and the not yet. We are those upon whom the end of the ages has come and we are strengthened by the spirit to live accordingly between the times. You know, so often we hear this mantra, one day at a time. And really that one day at a time is so fitting for how we live out the paradox of Jesus's peace in this life. One day at a time, we choose not to worry about tomorrow because today has enough trouble for itself. One day at a time, with humility and honesty, we resist the anxiety and the disorder of our souls by seeking first his kingdom and allowing him to add to our lives whatever we need, what he knows that we need. And even uh, just the briefest moments of peace are really just signposts of, of what's to come. To slow down and to notice a smile, um, the beauty of a smile in our friend's uh, face, to listen to birds on our morning walk, or the laughter of a baby. We've got our little Sophia, who always makes great little squeals. Um, to savor a good meal, uh, to smell flowers, or to be silent um, in the early morning before the crazy onslaught of the day. Each of these little moments are just these advancements, these small advancements of God's shalom in the world. And these advancements move forward even as they cause division. Again, that's that paradox the paradox of his peace is that Jesus' life simultaneously created disunity 
in a world at war with him. He said some very disorienting things like, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And just as strongly, Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. What Jesus meant by these difficult sayings was that his peace required radical allegiance. There was no middle ground. There is no middle ground with Jesus. Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom would create division. And because the fullness of his peace is something that's still in the future, the moments of peace that we experience in this life will always be resisted by a world that is still very much at war with him. Half of winning this war is realizing that the war isn't over yet. We're not fully at peace. We're in the process of making peace. We haven't arrived to the final destination. We're on the way there. And while this war is real and it does require total allegiance to Jesus alone, we have to remember as Jesus followers that we are not at war with our fellow image bearers. We are on a rescue mission in partnership with Jesus to deliver humanity from the powers and principalities that once captivated our own souls. This is the purpose of Advent. The Prince of Peace has sent us to be peacemakers, to be multipliers of shalom, bringing order to the chaos. We each have our part to play in this grand story of God. We are partners in this recreation project. As followers of Jesus, we are called to bring shalom into our homes, into our schools, into our workplaces, our neighborhoods, and all our areas of influence. As we touched on in the Future Church series, this peacemaking can start right from our kitchen tables, and it can look like welcoming strangers over for a meal. Our very own uh, community group leaders, Tom and Kim Walpole, modeled this type of peacemaking just a couple of weeks ago at Thanksgiving. Kim put out this invitation on Facebook, inviting anyone who didn't have a place to go to come to their house for a Thanksgiving meal. And surprisingly, she got five responses. And those five complete strangers showed up, showed up at their house and ate a Thanksgiving meal with them. I think this is so beautiful because we complicate it. She just clicked send. She literally clicked send on Facebook and got this response. And this is, this hospitality is peacemaking, literally over a turkey leg and some mashed potatoes. I just love it. Again, as Rosaria Butterfield says, it's making strangers become guests and enemies becoming family. All right, I wanna land the plane here. As I've been meditating um, in this teaching the past week, I have found myself reflecting um, on my life and I've been asking God, you know, where have I seen his shalom at work? And so much of God's shalom has been incremental and it's been a slow rebuilding. I have personally experienced the vandalism of shalom in deep ways in my life whether it was done by those who were supposed to protect me or it was my own sin, drug abuse, sexual immorality, sexual abuse, divorce, manipulation, and deception have had devastating effect on my soul and the souls of my family members. And yet, slowly, like leaven in the bread, God is bringing wholeness and completeness to what was broken. 
God is rebuilding shalom one person at a time in my family. It started with my grandma and grandpa who were saved, which then led to my mom's radical conversion to Jesus and then to my salvation. And then my sister got saved in jail, actually, of all places, and was significantly freed from 10 to 12 years of intense addiction. What used to be a barren wasteland in my family is now just this beautiful garden of love and belonging. Don't get me wrong, this journey um, has has not been easy, and sin has had its effect, and there are lasting consequences, but each of us is doing the hard work on our parts, and we're getting to see um, just the rebuilding of our relationships, and there is still more work that needs to be done. Yet through it all, God continues to rebuild shalom through our surrender, and God's peace and recreation project is still having its way. Maybe some of you need to hear that today. Perhaps you look at your life and your relationships and you only, see, you only see damage. Maybe you feel like you are in exile. Maybe instead of wholeness, you or someone you know is experiencing sickness or loss. Maybe your life isn't where you thought it would be or expected it to be. Slowly and likely imperceptibly, Life and creation are being birthed in that barrenness. He will be faithful to complete the work. Friends, in all of the hardest moments of our lived experiences, Jesus' true peace and rebuilding is at work. This Advent season, by faith, receive the wholeness and the completeness that we have been given in Jesus. With the help of the Holy Spirit, trust and walk one day at a time, in the already not yet tension that wrong is being made right. And go forth as peacemakers, live sent through hospitality, bringing his shalom to your families, to your workplaces and schools, that his kingdom would come through you as it is in heaven. And one day, that day we all long for, our Prince of Peace is going to return and his shalom will reign forever. Come Lord Jesus.